so we talked about two prophetic stations. Last week we talked about the Christian church increasing and, 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 and developing and, and, the, and that God was going to come and return and, and the kingdom of heaven was going to meet earth and it would be beautiful and wonderful. Hope during hard times. And, and that's because in that station, in that prophetic station, somebody is suffering. They're going through really hard times and God says there's hope. This week we're actually talking as a warning to the comfortable. The one who thinks that everything is great and God's saying, hold up. A warning to the comfortable. If you were alive in the year 2000, what do you remember about it? I want you to share that on Slack. If you were alive in the year 2000, what do you remember about it? Notice I'm including the teens in this conversation because I just want to know, like here on Slack, right here is interesting. If we, if we think about the year 2000, it was only in the year 2004 was the last time that the Leafs won a Stanley Cup playoff. To, no, it was last night. Last night the Leafs did that. So if we could go on to Slack, what do you remember about the year 2000? Someone said there was darkness. Um, yes, you're right. Someone said that uh, fear had many people. In the year 2000, the economy was booming. The economy was booming. Globalization was catching on. In many ways, the world was optimistic. Peace was happening, and there were very, very few wars. In the year 2000, that's pre-World Trade Center, post-dot-com world, the internet is just coming online in a big way. Google's establishing itself, and Netscape is real. In the year 2000, Conan O'Brien had a sketch called In the Year 2000, which was just ironic, because he ran it all throughout the, the 90s about the amazing, hilarious things that would happen in the year 2000, none of which happened. There was a, there was postmodernism that was emerging in the public discourse and deconstructionist thought. So, so the idea of here's an institution and we want to take it apart was just starting to become part of the narrative. It was just starting to show its effect. The Y2K bug had just resolved because nothing happened. <laughs> Overriding Y2K, um, there, there was hope. And, and Space Odyssey was right around the corner, someone said. These are the things that happened. We were full of hope. We were going to succeed in bringing utopia to the world, at least that's what they told us as we were graduating high school and in college. We are going to bring hope to the world. Anybody who's 40, around 40-ish, that was the mantra that, that we were taught. You know, it was, it was going to be a, a land of access to information and education and truth was just going to be self-evident. <laughs> yep, that's what we thought. This rationality was going to lead eventually into world global peace because we'd already been experiencing peace like we had never experienced before, the secular promise. 
Apparently, it was also the year that the last Concorde crashed, which, good memory on that. Someone got paid midnight and, and got paid triple time and a half. All year? Saying, French, saying the year in French class became so much easier. Yes. Um, so so this, is, this is what was going on, this, this optimistic view that wealth was going to lead us into peace, which was going to lead us into utopia, and truth was going to be self-evident. I mean, we couldn't have been more wrong about truth being self-evident. We have access to all information, but can't figure out what is truth. And it's only getting harder on the internet now because, because AI is able to artificially create truth statements. And you're like, no, what? What? What is true? How am I going to determine that on the internet anymore? That's going to get rough. Truth didn't seem to be self-evident. And so now we're all stuck as individuals trying to sort out truth. And Oprah Winfrey nailed the, the, the problem of our generation by saying you have to believe in your truth. Well, she's not wrong. It's on, it's on the responsibility of every individual now to sort out truth. How are you going to sort out truth? How are you even going to do this? Well, I suggest that as a Christian, we start with Scripture because that's been faithful through the ages. So let's start there. It's not, that, that's not the end of it. But um, someone just reminded me that yo-yos were in in 2000. Um, I, yeah, that's right. Yo-yos replaced Hacky Sack, if anybody remembers that. And Backstreet Boys were the top band. They still should be. This is, this is, the verses we're going to get into are written to a people who were experiencing much of that type of optimism. It's what it was like for the people who lived in the Roman Empire. Wealth and peace is reigning throughout the core of the empire. Conquest and war was far away, and the Senate had law and order locked down. Two weeks ago, we spoke about the two stories of the prophetic office. Last week, it was about the, the rapture for those who are in bondage. And this week, it's about, we're talking about the warning to the comfortable. So the prophetic, the prophetic station of warning, the caution is for the comfortable, the ones who are profiting and doing well, who are self-reliant, and who are sur surviving and surviving well. Business is going well. Family is good. Houses are, okay, well... We all concern ourselves with beautification projects, and things are okay. That's where the Roman Empire was. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to note that the verses that I'm about to read are, are taken on a form of unique literary genre called apocalyptic literature. The way apocalyptic literature ran is actually has actually informed what we would now call fantasy. So the fantasy world is, is actually developed on apocalyptic language, but the fantasy world is about fiction. Apocalyptic language was meant to communicate reality through symbol. And so this is, this is what we did. The, the, the Conversation is symbols, but it's also not all symbol. It, it mixes symbol with reality, and that's why revelation is so hard to understand. But we're going to get into this right now and, uh, and, and read Revelation 16. 
Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go pour out the go uh, sorry, go and pour out on the earth seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth, and the harmful and painful sores came upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. Every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have been shed for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. I feel like I'm reading Game of Thrones. <laughs> but cleaner. <laughs> I actually never read it. It's, it is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heats, like they got wicked sunburns. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the thrones of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed on their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the king from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, like frogs, for they are domestic, or they are demonic spirits, not domestic, they're demonic performing signs, I get words wrong today, it's so weird, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his garments on, that he might not go about naked and be seen and exposed. And they assembled them at the place that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. Whoa. All right, that was a Sunday morning passage. Let's go. Um, good thing we're not going to go through verse by verse in this. I'm giving you the idea of God's wrath being poured out on people. So here's a Slack question for you, and we can answer it on Slack. Why would God pour out wrath when things are going so well? Why would God pour out wrath on people when things seem to be going so well? There's a question for you. Let's, uh, let's, let's see what happens. So I want us to consider a couple verses while we're answering that question. Joel 1.15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. See, these warning signs, they exist for the church as well. Church in Laodicea, Revelation 3, 15 to 19. I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, you're kind of comfortable. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I don't need anything. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve for your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So that the warning calls and the call to repentance are evident here. The ultimate sin, the ultimate sin of a human isn't, you know, being a bad person. It's not murder. The ultimate sin of any human is taking the position of God. Taking on the position of God. We tell ourselves, look at what we've done as a society. I hear it all the time. We have advanced in technology in ways that nobody has. We congratulate ourselves and we revel in our successes. We lounge in our comforts and fold our arms and say, I just succeeded. Be careful, lest you fall. We fall easily into deception. The warning is this, in prosperity and comfort, and in our own self-competence, we have to be alert. We have to be alert to our dependence on God and to God's supremacy. So, why would God, why would God pour out wrath when things are going so well? Someone said, I would argue that based on the line, and they did not repent, that things aren't going so well. If it's a land of people who won't repent and they curse God, could things really be considered going well? Someone else said, people were doing evil, but it felt good to them. Oh, that's interesting, right? We get this sense of like, oh, things are going well. I've got my, I got my, my social network connections. I've got my, my comfort. I've got my things that I, that I have. There's no stress on me. I'm good. Thank you very much. I even like my job today. Tomorrow's Monday. But I like my job today. And, and things are going pretty well. I'm blessed. So... They were doing evil, but it felt good to them. False peace still looks like peace. Surface looks good, but when you look under the carpet, you see all the dirt. Isn't that true of our culture? So we easily fall into deception. The warning in this is in prosperity and in comfort, we've got to be alert to our dependence on God. In Revelation 16, the call was for repentance. It's a warning call. It's a prophetic call. And I want you to notice that repentance is different than confession. It's not just like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that I messed up. That's confession. That's you turning to your neighbor like you did a few minutes ago and saying, this is what distracted me. That's confession. Repentance is what you did next when you actually refused to let yourself be distracted. You repented of your distraction and you engaged, and I saw it, I saw the difference between the distraction, the confession, and the repentance. 
all it is. It's acting and thinking differently about it. So the call was to repentance. Repentance is turning away from self-reliance and choosing to follow God. We too quickly believe we're self-sufficient and self-sustaining, that we are rich and well-to-do, that we've accomplished something great. So today there's a caution because God calls out this arrogance with judgment. God calls out the arrogance with judgment. Caution to the comfortable, both to the Christian and to the non-Christian. Guard your heart against thoughts like this. I'm successful because I'm such a good worker. If everyone learned to do what I did, they would be successful like me. Have you ever had a friend who's got drama in their life? And you're having a private conversation with a family member or another friend. And you're like, if they would just do it like me, then they'd be better. Caution against, against this. You know, there's... I, I remember being a kid. I was 11. My family was poor. And my dad had invited over this multi-level marketing, remember that? Multi-level marketing dude in his BMW. Drives up to my house in the projects. Pulls his little BMW over the speed limits. It's too low to like knock a on the, on the uh, speed bumps. <laughs> Pulls in, sits down for a lunch. And he starts criticizing my family. If you just did it like me, you would be rich and successful like me. At that point, at 11 years old, I didn't know to ask him what his payments were on his car. But he took my brother and I out in the, in the car, in the BMW, and, and he just started slamming my father. Oh, he's no good, he's no good, blah, 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 all this stuff. Not, not good enough. And so he starts slamming my father, and now I'm there going like, wait, this is, this is wrong. Careful to guard against that type of arrogance or even arrogance that's just like, I'm comfortable. I don't need God. What's my need of God? Acts 12, 21 to 23 says, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down because he didn't give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Revelation 16, 9-10. They did not repent and give him glory. Everybody under 13 just left. Whatever. Um, they did not repent of their deeds. The inference here is if they had repented, the bowls of wrath would be stopped being poured out. But because they didn't repent... Watch how the turn of events escalates. By, by Revelation 16, 16, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Wow, Armageddon. That's great. Yes, this is the infamous battle of Armageddon. And when we do not repent and continue to affirm our own successes and our own autonomy, our own authority, and our own lordship, we will go to war against God. 
That's what happens. You will go to war against God when you don't repent. We do it on a micro scale. God, I don't want to give that up. God, I don't want you to have that in my life. God, I want to have control of this. I want my own autonomy. And if what we do on a micro scale when we reject God's guidance and God's leading and God's direction, we will do on a macro scale when we go to war against God. This is a caution for the comfortable. Armageddon doesn't work out well for the people that fight against God. Someone just wrote on Slack, often people see successes without God and they experience trials when they turn to God. And then cited Jeremiah 14, 16 to 18. See, my question for you today is, what would a war against God even look like? What do you think that would look like? Answer me on Slack. What do you think a war against God would look like this is what this comes to when i rebel when i'm proud when i stand against god say i don't i have no need of god look at all my successes look at how great the world is what does a war against god look like this is the prophetic station of warnings to the christians look at revelation 3 that we read it was addressed to the church of laodicea that's a church guys this could be us it's not a story about only how the evil are punished in this war against God. It's a warning to Christians, come and repent, because they did not repent and give God glory. Turn to God in the face of your successes. If any of you are successful in business, if any of you are successful parents, if any of you are successful in whatever stage of life you're in right now, turn to God in the face of your success. And say, God, I give you the glory. Don't be like Herod, who was like, wow, I pulled it off. I'd I done good. Because God will oppose that. The Bible says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the mighty presence of God. The call is for those of us who are comfortable. Repent. See, this is echoed in Israel. We see it all the way through the Davidic dynasty. Queen Sheba comes and gives glory to Solomon. The prophets say, get back to honoring God. Repent. So where do you find yourself? Are we comfortable? Do we find ourselves saying, look, things aren't perfect, but they're pretty good. We're doing well economically. We're doing well structurally. We're doing well as a strong community. We've got to consider ourselves. Are we the comfortable? These verses should bring us to humility, not self-deprecation, humility. We give glory to God by recognizing that it's not us who sustain our successes, but by the hand of God that he blesses us. And we give gratitude to God we must take seriously these verses, knowing that the scripture wasn't only a looking glass into the future, but a constant mirror held up to me saying, how do I need to correct? How do I need to correct? Am I that comfortable person? 
So what would war look like against God? <laughs> One-sided. Foolishness. When as a parent, your three-year-old kid wants to wrestle and beat dad. That's interesting. Good image. I think about war against the, the, the demonic all the time, but this puts it into perspective. I, I do not want war against God in the end. So, so the answer is to glorify God, and you will not be part of the war. Someone asked a really good question here. Can we be proud of ourselves and still give God the glory? I can be so proud of the work that God has done through me. And I can be honored that God has chosen me to do great work. But what that does is it puts me in a position of humility, acknowledging that God has done awesome work in me. When I consider, okay, I'm a church planter, and I started Promise Church five years ago, and with a lot of help, and, and I could look at that and be like, woohoo, look at what happened. And look at how great I am. Or I could say, look at the position God put me in that, that he got to use, that, that I got to be part of being used by God to do something really cool and really awesome. And I'm grateful. And in that, I'm, I, I have a sense of accomplishment and, and pride but only because of God. That was a great question. Thank you for that. So, the events of Revelation 16, this pouring out of blood and these bowls of wrath and these, the, all these pictures of all the bowls of wrath that are coming down because we didn't repent, in a way, they have already taken place, but they have also yet to take place again. So think about this. The bowls of wrath, the river's we're full of blood. When you look at the, the, first, uh, at the first inquisition or the, or the, uh, the uh, crusades, the first crusade, they say that Jerusalem ran with blood knee deep because of the amount of bloodshed that happened in that city. So we've seen these things happening. It takes, it's taken place. It takes place now, and it will take place again. Because people do not repent and give God glory. It's not about figuring out the end times and the dates, or establishing even, but, but it's about establishing that even in our successes, we have to give God glory. As a church, we have to give God glory. As an individual, we have to give God glory. The, the, rep the call to the comfortable is repent. See, God is God. And this is what giving the glory God means. It means I acknowledge, God, that you are God. And I will never be God. That God has accepted you for who you are, not lesser than who you are, or not greater than who you are, but exactly who you are. You will forever be human, created in God's image, but you will never be God. You will, be, you will live forever with him as a lesser being than him. Or you will determine your own lordship, your own control, your own fight, and you will go to war against God. You will acknowledge that you are lesser than God and submitted to God, or you will go to war against him. Someone just said, I feel I war against God intentionally, to be honest, and even in my actions that go against what I know he wants for me. A wonderful confession. 
that God answers by his Holy Spirit and says, will you let me? Does your heart come to me and say, okay, God, even though I war against you, I want to submit to you. Help me. Help me submit to you. That's the question that we ask. God, help me submit to you. What a great, I love what's coming from Slack today. So good. See, God will give us the peace and the humility to know that we are not God, and he is. If we ask him, like this person just did. In all the ways that affect me, we say, God, I'm not you. I salute you. You are superior. And we accept that. We actually will have peace. The shalom of God, the peace of God can rule over us. But if we in our ignorance and belligerence and our arrogance say we will measure up to be like God, look at how great I am, that God had nothing to do with who I am. I am a self-made person. I built myself upon intelligence and hard work, and that's what it is. The wrath of God is coming. See, it's not that God doesn't want you to succeed. God doesn't want you to lie to yourself. He doesn't want you to lie to yourself. He wants you to simply say, I acknowledge I'm not God. You are God. I give you glory. I will follow you. And he doesn't want you to lie to yourself. So if you have lied to yourself, repent. You will be accepted by God. Joshua says, choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So I want to encourage you today to consider in your heart who is Lord. Who is Lord? From wherever you are right now, are you so caught up in your successes that you say, I have no need of a God, and so set your heart to turn against God and go to war against him? Or do you, in your successes, say, God, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for being involved in my life and for guiding me. Jesus, I pray that today as individuals and as a corporate body, we would choose to follow you. God, that we would be a people who would say, yes, I'm in. I will follow you with everything I have and I will give you the glory. Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you need to get baptized. If you've chosen to say, I repent, it's time for baptism. And baptism is going to be happening in a couple weeks. Go to promisechurch.ca, register right now before you leave the pew. Register and get signed up for baptism. It's coming up on June 18th. And so other than that, God bless you. Have a great week.